Hello again, Justin Spencer here. After spending the last few weeks taking a look back at some of the first stories that Storylight has told, it's time to start a new one with a brand new Storylight narrator. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Marley Watson and to have her tell you a little bit more about herself and the book she'll be reading. Hi, my name is Marley Watson, and I'm a storyteller. When I was a kid, stories were the center around which my world turned, and the more I read, the bigger my world became. Between the pages of books, arranged in neat rows on shelves and tucked away in my favorite reading nooks at the local library, I discovered adventure, magic, friends, inspiration, and possibilities. Many nights I stayed awake past my bedtime, reading for as long as I could before my eyelids got too heavy to keep them open. Somewhere in that hazy state between wakefulness and sleep, there always seemed to be a chance that when I awoke, I would find myself inside any one of my most beloved stories. A young witch learning to cast spells, a member of a secret time-traveling librarian society, or the unwitting heiress to a throne in a faraway kingdom. My imagination expanded and overflowed, taking shape as plans for the future, colorful illustrations on the pages of my sketchbooks, and retellings at summer camps. I found so much joy in telling stories to my friends, drawing out pauses for dramatic effect, and speaking in funny accents to bring a cast of characters to life. I loved to make my friends' faces light up, see their surprise at an unexpected plot twist, and their joy at a happy ending. I wanted to share with them what stories gave to me, a trip to strange and far-off places never seen, a connection to people never met, and a feeling of excitement about what could be. As I've gotten older, I've been able to live out those plans to visit faraway places that I made during the hours spent curled up with a book as a little girl. I have explored ancient cities, climbed to the tops of dormant volcanoes, and met people so unlike anyone from my hometown, yet so similar to beloved characters I met in books. Stories have opened the world to me, turning strangers into friends, the unknown to the familiar, and shining a light on possibility. So, wherever you may be from, however old you may be, I invite you to cozy up, ready your sense of adventure, and join me as we step into the world of a little orphan girl in 1910 New England. This is Pollyanna by Eleanor H. Porter, read for you by Marley Watson. Chapter 1. Miss Polly. Miss Polly Harrington entered her kitchen a little hurriedly this June morning. Miss Polly did not usually make hurried movements. She specially prided herself on her repose of manner. But today, she was hurrying. Actually hurrying. Nancy, 
washing dishes at the sink, looked up in surprise. Nancy had been working in Miss Polly's kitchen only two months, but already she knew that her mistress did not usually hurry. Nancy? Yes, ma'am. Nancy answered cheerfully, but she still continued wiping the pitcher in her hand. Nancy, Miss Polly's voice was very stern now. When I'm talking to you, I wish you to stop your work and listen to what I have to say. Nancy flushed miserably. She set the pitcher down at once, with the cloth still about it, thereby nearly tipping it over, which did not add to her composure. Yes, ma'am, I will, ma'am, she stammered, writing the pitcher and turning hastily. I was only keeping on with my work because you specially told me this morning to hurry with my dishes, you know? Her mistress frowned. That will do, Nancy. I did not ask for explanations. I asked for your attention. Yes, ma'am. Nancy stifled a sigh. She was wondering if ever, in any way, she could please this woman. Nancy had never worked out before, but a sick mother, suddenly widowed and left with three younger children besides Nancy herself, had forced the girl into doing something toward their support, and she had been so pleased when she found a place in the kitchen of the great house on the hill. Nancy had come from the corners, six miles away, and she knew Miss Polly Harrington only as the mistress of the old Harrington homestead and one of the wealthiest residents of the town. That was two months before. She knew Miss Polly now as a stern, severe-faced woman who frowned if a knife clattered to the floor or if a door banged, but who never thought to smile even when knives and doors were still. When you finished your morning work, Nancy, Miss Polly was saying now, you may clear the little room at the head of the stairs in the attic and make up the cot bed. Sweep the room and clean it, of course, after you clear out the trunks and boxes. Yes, ma'am. And where shall I put the things, please, that I take out? In the front attic. Miss Polly hesitated, then went on. I suppose I may as well tell you now, Nancy. My niece, Miss Pollyanna Whittier, is coming to live with me. She is eleven years old and will sleep in that room. A little girl? Coming here, Miss Harrington? Oh, won't that be nice, cried Nancy, thinking of the sunshine her own little sisters made in the home at the corners. Nice. Well, that isn't exactly the word I should use, rejoined Miss Polly, stiffly. However, I intend to make the best of it, of course. I am a good woman, I hope, and I know my duty. Nancy colored hotly. Of course, ma'am. It was only that I thought a little girl here might, might brighten things up for you, she faltered. Thank you, rejoined the lady dryly. I can't say, however, that I see any immediate need for that. But, of course, you, you'd want her, your sister's child, ventured Nancy, vaguely feeling that somehow she must prepare a welcome for this lonely little stranger. Miss Polly lifted her chin haughtily. 
Well, really, Nancy, just because I happen to have a sister who was silly enough to marry and bring unnecessary children into a world that was already quite full enough, I can't see how I should particularly want to have the care of them myself. However, as I said before, I hope I know my duty. See that you clean the corners, Nancy, she finished sharply as she left the room. Yes, ma'am sighed Nancy, picking up the half-dried pitcher. Now so cold it must be rinsed again. In her own room, Miss Polly took out once more the letter which she had received two days before from the faraway western town, and which had been so unpleasant a surprise to her. The letter was addressed to Miss Polly Harrington, Beldingsville, Vermont, and it read as follows. Dear Madam, I regret to inform you that the Reverend John Whittier died two weeks ago, leaving one child, a girl eleven years old. He left practically nothing else save a few books, for, as you doubtless know, he was the pastor of this small mission church and had a very meager salary. I believe he was your deceased sister's husband, but he gave me to understand the families were not on the best of terms— he thought, however, that for your sister's sake, you might wish to take the child and bring her up among her own people in the East. Hence, I am writing to you. The little girl will be all ready to start by the time you get this letter, and if you can take her, we would appreciate it very much if you would write that she might come at once, as there is a man and his wife here who are going East very soon, and they would take her with them to Boston and put her on the Beldingsville train. Of course, you would be notified what day and train to expect Pollyanna on. Hoping to hear favorably from you soon, I remain respectfully yours, Jeremiah O. White. With a frown, Miss Polly folded the letter and tucked it into its envelope. She had answered it the day before, and she had said she would take the child, of course. She hoped she knew her duty well enough for that disagreeable as the task would be. As she sat now, with the letter in her hands, her thoughts went back to her sister, Jenny, who had been this child's mother, and to the time when Jenny, as a girl of twenty, had insisted upon marrying the young minister in spite of her family's remonstrances. There had been a man of wealth who had wanted her, and the family had much preferred him to the minister, but Jenny had not. The man of wealth had more years, as well as more money to his credit, while the minister had only a young head full of youth's ideals and enthusiasm, and a heart full of love. Jenny had preferred these, quite naturally, perhaps, so she had married the minister and had gone south with him as a home missionary's wife. The break had come then, Miss Polly remembered it well, though she had been but a girl of fifteen, the youngest at the time. The family had had little more to do with the missionary's wife. To be sure, Jenny herself had written, for a time, and had named her last baby Pollyanna, for her two sisters, Polly and Anna. The other babies had all died. This had been the last time that Jenny had written, and in a few short years there had come the news of her death, told in a short but heartbroken little note from the minister himself, 
dated at a little town in the West. Meanwhile, time had not stood still for the occupants of the great house on the hill. Miss Polly, looking out at the far-reaching valley below, thought of the changes those twenty-five years had brought to her. She was forty now, and quite alone in the world. Father, mother, sisters, all were dead. For years now, she had been sole mistress of the house and of the thousands left her by her father. There were people who had openly pitied her lonely life and who had urged her to have some friend or companion to live with her, but she had not welcomed either their sympathy or their advice. She was not lonely, she said. She liked being by herself. She preferred quiet. But now... Miss Polly rose with frowning face and closely shut lips. She was glad, of course, that she was a good woman, and that she not only knew her duty, but had sufficient strength of character to perform it. But... Polly Anna. What a ridiculous name. Chapter 2. Old Tom and Nancy. In the little attic room, Nancy swept and scrubbed vigorously, paying particular attention to the corners. There were times, indeed, when the vigor she put into her work was more of a relief to her feelings than it was an ardor to efface dirt. Nancy, in spite of her frightened submission to her mistress, was no saint. I just wish I could dig out the corners of her soul, she muttered jerkily, punctuating her words with murderous jabs of her pointed cleaning stick. There's plenty of them needs cleaning, all right, all right. The idea of sticking that blessed child way off up here, in this hot little room, with no fire in the winter, too, and all this big house to pick and choose from. Unnecessary children, indeed. Humph, snapped Nancy, wringing her rag so hard her fingers ached from the strain. I guess it ain't children what is most unnecessary just now. Just now. For some time, she worked in silence. Then, her task finished, she looked about the bare little room in plain disgust. Well, it's done. My part, anyhow, she sighed. There ain't no dirt here, and there's mighty little else. Poor little soul. A pretty place this is to put a homesick, lonesome child into, she finished, going out and closing the door with a bang. Oh, she ejaculated, biting her lip. Then, doggedly, well, I don't care. I hope she did hear the bang. I do, I do. In the garden that afternoon, Nancy found a few minutes in which to interview old Tom, who had pulled the weeds and shoveled the paths about the place for uncounted years. Mr. Tom, began Nancy, throwing a quick glance over her shoulder to make sure she was unobserved. Did you know a little girl was coming here to live with Miss Polly? A what? demanded the old man, straightening his bent back with difficulty. A little girl to live with Miss Polly. 
Go on with your joking, scoffed unbelieving Tom. Why don't you tell me the sun is a-going to set in the east tomorrow? But it's true. She told me so herself, maintained Nancy. It's her niece, and she's eleven years old. The man's jaw fell. So, I wonder now, he muttered. Then a tender light came into his faded eyes. It ain't, but it must be. Miss Jenny's little gal. There wasn't none of the rest of them married. Why, Nancy, it must be Miss Jenny's little gal. Glory be to praise to think of my old eyes a seeing this. Who was Miss Jenny? She was an angel, straight out of heaven, breathed the old man fervently. But the old master and missus knew her as their oldest daughter. She was twenty when she married and went away from here, long years ago. Her babies all died, I heard, except the last one, and that must be the one what's a-coming. She's eleven years old. Yes, she might be, nodded the old man. And she's going to sleep in the attic. More shame to her, scolded Nancy, with another glance over her shoulder toward the house behind her. Old Tom frowned. The next moment, a curious smile curved his lips. I'm wondering what Miss Polly will do with a child in the house, he said. Humph! Well, I'm wondering what a child will do with Miss Polly in the house, snapped Nancy. The old man laughed. I'm afraid you ain't fond of Miss Polly, he grinned. As if ever anybody could be fond of her, scorned Nancy. Old Tom smiled oddly. He stooped and began to work again. I guess maybe you didn't know about Miss Polly's love affair, he said slowly. Love affair? Her? No. And I guess nobody else didn't neither. Oh, yes, they did, nodded the old man. And the feller's living today, right in this town, too. Who is he? I ain't a-tellin' that. It ain't fit that I should. The old man drew himself erect. In his dim blue eyes, as he faced the house, there was the loyal servant's honest pride in the family he has served and loved for long years. But it don't seem possible. Her and a lover still maintained Nancy. Old Tom shook his head. You didn't know Miss Polly as I did, he argued. She used to be real handsome, and she would be now if she'd let herself be. Handsome? Miss Polly? Yes, if she'd just let that tight hair of hern all out loose and careless like as it used to be, and wear the sort of bonnets with posies in em and... The kind of dresses all lace and white things. You'd see she'd be handsome. Miss Polly ain't old, Nancy. Ain't she, though? Well, then she's got an awfully good imitation of it. She has, she has, sniffed Nancy. Yes, I know. It begun then, at the time of the trouble with her lover, nodded old Tom, and it seems as if she'd been feeding on wormwood and thistles ever since, 
She's been that bitter and prickly to deal with. I should say she was, declared Nancy indignantly. There's no pleasing her, no how, no matter how you try. I wouldn't stay if it weren't for the wages and the folks at home what's needing them. But someday, someday I shall just boil over. And when I do, of course, it'll be goodbye, Nancy, for me. It will, it will. Old Tom shook his head. I know. I've felt it. It's natural. But taint best, child. Taint best. Take my word for it. Taint best. And again, he bent his old head to the work before him. Nancy, called a sharp voice. Yes, ma'am, stammered Nancy, and hurried toward the house. Chapter 3. The Coming of Pollyanna In due time came the telegram announcing that Pollyanna would arrive in Beldingsville the next day, the 25th of June, at 4 o'clock. Miss Polly read the telegram, frowned, then climbed the stairs to the attic room. She still frowned as she looked about her. The room contained a small bed, neatly made, two straight-backed chairs, a washstand, a bureau, without any mirror, and a small table. There were no drapery curtains at the dormer windows, no pictures on the wall. All day, the sun had been pouring down upon the roof, and the little room was like an oven for heat. As there were no screens, the windows had not been raised. A big fly was buzzing angrily at one of them now, up and down, up and down, trying to get out. Miss Polly killed the fly, swept it through the window, raising the sash an inch for the purpose, straightened a chair, frowned again, and left the room. Nancy, she said a few minutes later at the kitchen door, I found a fly upstairs in Miss Pollyanna's room. The windows must have been raised at some time. I have ordered screens, but until they come, I shall expect you to see that the windows remain closed. My niece will arrive tomorrow at four o'clock. I desire you to meet her at the station. Timothy will take the open buggy and drive you over. The telegram says, light hair, red checked gingham dress, and straw hat. That is all I know, but I think it is sufficient for your purpose. Yes, ma'am, but you... Miss Polly evidently read the pause all right, for she frowned and said crisply, No, I shall not go. It is not necessary that I should, I think. That is all. And she turned away. Miss Polly's arrangements for the comfort of her niece, Pollyanna, were complete. In the kitchen, Nancy sent her flat iron with a vicious dig across the dish towel she was ironing. Light hair, red-checked gingham dress, and straw hat. All she knows indeed. Well, I'd be ashamed to own it up, that I would. I would. And her my onlyest niece what was a-coming from way across the continent. Promptly at 20 minutes to four the next afternoon, Timothy and Nancy drove off in the open buggy to meet the expected guest. Timothy was old Tom's son. 
It was sometimes said in the town that if old Tom was Miss Polly's right-hand man, Timothy was her left. Timothy was a good-natured youth, and a good-looking one as well. Short as had been Nancy's stay at the house, the two were already good friends. Today, however, Nancy was too full of her mission to be her usual talkative self, and almost in silence she took the train to the station and alighted to wait for the train. Over and over in her mind she was saying it. Light hair, red check dress, straw hat. Over and over again, she was wondering just what sort of child this Pollyanna was anyway. I hope for her sake she's quiet and sensible and don't drop knives nor bang doors, she sighed to Timothy, who had sauntered up to her. Well, if she ain't, nobody knows what'll become of the rest of us, grinned Timothy. Imagine Miss Polly and a noisy kid. Gawry, there goes the whistle now. Oh, Timothy, I, I think it was mean to send me, chattered the suddenly frightened Nancy as she turned and hurried to a point where she could best watch the passengers alight at the little station. It was not long before Nancy saw her, the slender little girl in the red-checked gingham with two fat braids of flaxen hair hanging down her back. Beneath the straw hat, an eager, freckled little face turned to the right and to the left, plainly searching for someone. Nancy knew the child at once, but not for some time could she control her shaking knees sufficiently to go to her. The little girl was standing quite by herself when Nancy finally did approach her. Are you Miss Pollyanna? she faltered. The next moment she found herself half smothered in the clasp of two gingham-clad arms. Oh, I'm so glad, glad to see you, cried an eager voice in her ear. Of course I'm Pollyanna, and I'm so glad you came to meet me. I hoped you would. You, you did, stammered Nancy, vaguely wondering how Pollyanna could possibly have known her, and wanted her. You, you did, she repeated, trying to straighten her hat. Oh, yes, and I've been wondering all the way here what you looked like, cried the little girl, dancing on her toes and sweeping the embarrassed Nancy from head to foot with her eyes. And now I know, and I'm glad you look just like you do look. Nancy was relieved just then to have Timothy come up. Pollyanna's words had been most confusing. This is Timothy. Maybe you have a trunk? she stammered. Yes, I have, nodded Pollyanna, importantly. I've got a brand new one. The ladies' aide bought it for me. And wasn't it lovely of them when they wanted the carpet so? Of course, I don't know how much red carpet a trunk could buy, but it ought to buy some, anyhow. Much as half an aisle, don't you think? I've got a little thing here in my bag that Mr. Gray said was a check, and that I must give it to you before I could get my trunk. Mr. Gray is Mrs. Gray's husband. They're cousins of Deacon Carr's wife. I came east with them, and they're lovely. And there, here it is, she finished, producing the check after much fumbling in the bag she carried. Nancy drew a long breath. Instinctively, she felt that someone had to draw one after that speech. 
Then she stole a glance at Timothy. Timothy's eyes were studiously turned away. The three were off at last, with Pollyanna's trunk in behind, and Pollyanna herself snugly ensconced between Nancy and Timothy. During the whole process of getting started, the little girl had kept up an uninterrupted stream of comments and questions, until the somewhat dazed Nancy found herself quite out of breath trying to keep up with her. There. Isn't this lovely? Is it far? I hope it is. I love to ride, sighed Pollyanna as the wheels began to turn. Of course, if it isn't far, I shan't mind, though, because I'll be glad to get there all the sooner, you know. What a pretty street. I knew it was going to be pretty. Father told me... She stopped with a little choking breath. Nancy, looking at her apprehensively, saw that her small chin was quivering and that her eyes were full of tears. In a moment, however, she hurried on with a brave lifting of her head. Father told me all about it. He remembered. And, and I ought to have explained this before. Mrs. Gray told me to at once. About this red gingham dress, you know, and why I'm not in black. She said you'd think it was queer, but there weren't any black things in the last missionary barrel. Only a lady's velvet basque, which Deacon Carr's wife said wasn't suitable for me at all. Besides, it had white spots. Worn, you know, on both elbows and some other places. Part of the ladies' aid wanted to buy me a black dress and hat, but the other part thought the money ought to go toward the red carpet they're trying to get. For the church, you know. Mrs. White said maybe it was just as well anyway, for she didn't like children in black. That is, I mean she liked the children, of course, but not the black part. Pollyanna paused for breath, and Nancy managed to stammer, Well, I'm sure it... it'll be all right. I'm glad you feel that way. I do too nodded Pollyanna, again with that choking little breath. Of course, it would have been a good deal harder to be glad in black. Glad, gasped Nancy, surprised into an interruption. Yes, that father's gone to heaven to be with mother and the rest of us, you know. He said I must be glad. But it's been pretty hard to, to do it, even in Red Gingham, because I, I wanted him so... And I couldn't help feeling I ought to have him, especially as Mother and the rest have God and all the angels, while I didn't have anybody but the ladies' aid. But now, I'm sure it'll be easier, because I've got you, Aunt Polly. I'm so glad I've got you. Nancy's aching sympathy for the poor little forlornness beside her turned suddenly into shocked terror. Oh, but... But you've made an awful mistake, dear, she faltered. I'm only Nancy. I ain't your Aunt Polly at all. You... you aren't? stammered the little girl, in plain dismay. No, I'm only Nancy. I never thought of your taking me for her. We... we ain't a bit alike. We ain't, we ain't. Timothy chuckled softly. But Nancy was too disturbed to answer the merry flash from his eyes. But who are you? questioned Pollyanna, 
You don't look a bit like a lady's aider. Timothy laughed outright this time. I'm Nancy, the hired girl. I do all the work except the washing and hard ironing. Miss Durgan does that. But there is an Aunt Polly, demanded the child, anxiously. You bet your life there is, cut in Timothy. Pollyanna relaxed visibly. Oh, that's all right then. There was a moment's silence, then she went on brightly. And do you know, I'm glad, after all, that she didn't come to meet me, because now I've got her still coming, and I've got you besides. Nancy flushed. Timothy turned to her with a quizzical smile. I call that a pretty slick compliment, he said. Why don't you thank the little lady? Uh, I was thinking about Miss Polly, faltered Nancy. Pollyanna sighed contentedly. I was too. I'm so interested in her. You know, she's all the aunt I've got, and I didn't know I had her for ever so long. Then father told me. He said she lived in a lovely, great big house, way on top of a hill. She does. You can see it now, said Nancy. It's that big white one with the green blinds, way ahead. Oh, how pretty! And what a lot of trees and grass all around it. I never saw such a lot of green grass, seems so, all at once. Is my Aunt Polly rich, Nancy? Yes, miss. I'm so glad. It must be perfectly lovely to have lots of money. I never knew anyone that did have. Only the whites. They're some rich. They have carpets in every room. And ice cream sundaes. Does Aunt Polly have ice cream sundaes? Nancy shook her head. Her lips twitched. She threw a merry look into Timothy's eyes. No, miss. Your aunt don't like ice cream, I guess. Leastways, I never saw it on her table. Pollyanna's face fell. Oh, doesn't she? I'm so sorry. I don't see how she can help liking ice cream. But anyhow, I can be kind of glad about that, because the ice cream you don't eat can't make your stomach ache like Mrs. White's did. That is, I ate hers, you know, lots of it. Maybe Aunt Polly has got the carpets, though. Yes, she's got the carpets. In every room? Well, in almost every room, answered Nancy, frowning suddenly at the thought of that bare little attic room where there was no carpet. Oh, I'm so glad, exulted Pollyanna. I love carpets. We didn't have any, only two little rugs that came in a missionary barrel, and one of those had ink spots on it. Mrs. White had pictures, too, perfectly beautiful ones of roses and little girls kneeling and a kitty and some lambs and a lion not together you know the lambs and the lion oh of course the bible says they will sometime but they haven't yet that is i mean mrs white's haven't don't you just love pictures ah i don't know answered nancy in a half stifled voice i do We didn't have any pictures. They don't come in the barrels much, you know. There did two come once, though. But one was so good, Father sold it to get money to buy me some shoes with. And the other was so bad, it fell to pieces just as soon as we hung it up. Glass. 
It broke, you know? And I cried. But I'm glad now we didn't have any of those nice things, because I shall like Aunt Polly's all the better. Not being used to them, you see. Just as it is when the pretty hair ribbons come in the barrels, after a lot of faded-out brown ones. My... But isn't this a perfectly beautiful house? She broke off fervently as they turned into the wide driveway. It was when Timothy was unloading the trunk that Nancy found an opportunity to mutter low in his ear, Don't you never say nothing to me again about leaving, Timothy Durgan. You couldn't hire me to leave. Leave? I should say not, grinned the youth. You couldn't drag me away. It'll be more fun here now, with that kid round, than moving picture shows every day. Fun? Fun? Repeated Nancy, indignantly. I guess it'll be something more than fun for that blessed child when them two tries to live together, and I guess she'll be a-needin' some rock to fly to for refuge. Well... I'm a-going to be that rock, Timothy. I am, I am, she vowed as she turned and led Pollyanna up the broad steps. Thank you, again, for continuing to join us for each episode of Storylight. And if you're new to us, we send you the warmest welcome. Whether you're a new listener or an old friend, we at Storylight would be very grateful if you would subscribe to the podcast and give it a nice rating and review on whatever platform you listen. More than that, though... We would love for more people to be able to enjoy these stories. So please, tell a friend about us. You are my joy. You are my happy thoughts. We'll see you next time.